And welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. Starting next week, we have a new time slot, Tuesday evenings from 9 to 10 p.m. Uh, in addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. And every Thursday, a small crew of local pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, Elmer and Hunter, in Peterborough at 5 p.m. for an informal gathering. Whereat we yell at each other about politics. Well, not quite, but we don't yell. But we talk about politics. All are welcome. Please join us. We post on Twitter, at Bill Temp, and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Tonight, our intrepid panel returns from their summer escapades. Joining me in the studio is playwright and math teacher Tim Etherington, communications consultant, podcaster and writer Donald Fraser, and a special guest panelist, musician and provincial NDP candidate Sean Conway. Welcome, gentlemen. All right, so let's pick up where we left off on our program of June 26th. We debriefed the Ontario election results and made some rash predictions about what might happen during the Ford era in Ontario. Well, were we right? What do we think? (laughs) Uh, I have multiple gestures in the studio. I think there was a lot of shrugs. Well, I mean, it was hard, kind of hard to be wrong on, on that one. We, we, I mean, we, we've covered the fact that that Ford got in. Uh, that in itself is, is was to some a shocker, to some not. Uh, I think I think the fallout of it is is exactly what we predicted, which was that we have a guy who who is going to uh, pretty much make things up as he goes and and to steamroll things through. Now, am I alone in? being a bit puzzled why that's such a huge reaction about uh, sex ed. I, I, I don't think he came into decision to run for politics with the idea that he was going to go after sex ed. I think that was a, a issue of convenience. And when it was a vacuum of policy platform issues for Doug Ford, he grabbed onto that one. And you know, say one thing about the Ford. I, Fords, I think they are, you know, they, they do work a bit like a mob family and always have. And so they, <laughs> they feel a certain degree of loyalty to the... To, crazy wing uh, represented by Tanya Granick-Allen that uh, gave him the leadership. So they're going to follow through in that. I mm. do disagree a little bit, though. I, I think this, I, I think I was, I think I underestimated this government a little bit, at least in as much as they would, uh, how brazen they would be. And, and that was probably, as I said, unfortunately, naive on my part. You know, when I look at the use of the notwithstanding clause and a couple other things that are out there that are really going to hurt very soon. It kind of flew under the radar, but when the provincial government sort of took back control of the uh, former Ontario Place lands and said, uh, you know, scotched all the previous plans, they were putting a whole bunch of parkland in there, we're going to get a Ferris wheel. Uh, I don't, I'm pretty sure we are because Doug Ford wants to stick his middle finger and say, you laughed at me once and... uh, Here's a Ferris wheel. Here's a Ferris wheel, yeah. And I think, I think absolutely when you look at, of the ranks of the Conservative Party that Doug Ford came up out of in that leadership race, we know now that, that Doug Ford's always been involved in the Conservative Party of Ontario. Um, I'm, I'm withholding the use of the word progressive in the name of the party now. Because <laughs> it's no longer the party of Mr. Davis. And True. But we look at how Mr. Ford was able to take on power and what concessions 
he made perhaps to development and also to social conservatives in the province. And another thing that a lot of people are forgetting is that he's still planning on chopping up the Greenbelt. And that in itself, alongside developments at Ontario Place and the big Ferris wheel up, what what else are we going to see? We're going to see erosion of the Greenbelt, green spaces, and for that not being a priority of this government. And as much as I would say, uh, uh, because I wear the big orange hat, that the Liberal Party, you know, in itself did a lot of uh, concessions to green spaces and proper development, it wasn't done very well. And the Conservative government is not even going to entertain the thoughts of sustainable development. They want business as usual, Harris and Miller style development to happen. And that's what got us in the position that we're at right now. So I, I don't know if anyone wants to add to any of that, but I think we, we I certainly believe that we have we have the government that Mr. Ford promised. You know, one thing I, you know, we, we've always danced around making the comparisons to the Orange Menace down south. <laughs> uh, I suppose the Orange Menace on my left here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the, uh, and, and one of the distinctions, one of the most horrifying aspects of the Trump presidency is that there are things, many things that he's done that are legal. You know, that the president yes. has the power to do it. He's never done it before. And so there's been a lot of discussion between legality and norms and tradition. And I think with the opening salvos of the Ford government, the most disturbing thing is, yes, for example, he can use the notwithstanding clause. That is legal for him to do, but people haven't done it because it's such a bludgeon, such, such, such a terrible precedent. And I'm afraid that's just a, an indication of what's going to come. And, and, and look back to when he was a city councillor uh, and his brother, his brother Rob yes. was a mayor. And you, you had the same language. Uh, so they would both talk about the people. They would talk about democracy while at the same time throttling democracy and, and getting people further and further away from actually accessing the people who are in power. The notwithstanding clause shouldn't be seen or his use of the notwithstanding clause shouldn't be seen as all that surprising because the precedent has been set by uh, by him as a, as a counselor, the uh, that's his modus operandi is to say, you know what, I'm doing this for the people. I was elected by X number of people, which is actually a very small minority of the number of people of voters in Ontario. Twenty two percent. Twenty two percent, and so he's he's. He's using populism uh, as a, as a means of uh, well, he's using the term democracy and people as shorthand for straight up populism and hijacking of power. Now, what about the notwithstanding clause? Is it the the earth shaking uh, violation of Canadian democracy across the country that uh, some maintain, or is this, as you say, a legal thing that's perhaps like a certain hit in hockey, you really shouldn't do it, but you're not going to be called on it. Well, when uh, you look at the history of, of Section 33, and when they were putting together the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Constitution under Mr. Trudeau, there was one particularly vocal opponent of implementing the Constitution as it is right now, and it was an NDP MP from British yeah. Columbia, uh, Sven Robinson, who you right. may remember, right, very controversial course. figure in Canadian politics for many years. But he voted against the Constitution right. because of the notwithstanding clause. And we've not seen uh, use of notwithstanding clause section 33 in Ontario, but we've seen it used quite a bit. The majority of which, I believe it's been used 14, 15 times, has been in Quebec. You know, which, which speaks to his genus in the first place. I mean, it, I know that uh, you know, Pierre Trudeau 
always was chagrined about the notwithstanding clause. It, it completely ran afoul of, of his sense of federalism and what the Constitution was supposed to be about. But it was a sop. It was an attempt to bring Quebec to the table. It didn't work in the end. They didn't. They didn't sign it. But it it lingered there. And I, I you know, perhaps it's one of these things where memories start to fade. You know, the notwithstanding clause had uh, a very bad reputation in most of the country for that reason. It was seen as basically a way to try to lure the the, the hardcore separatists from Quebec to, to to join in. Right now, can we talk business for a moment? Ford got in saying, you know, Ontario is going to be open for business. We're going to turn this economy around, you know, Ontario's been broken. And yet the trashing of cap and trade, for example, is hurting a lot of Ontario businesses in that field. I've heard also that there have been job losses. So my question is, I'd be interested in knowing from the three of you, how is it that conservatives, supposedly conservatives like Ford, can run on a pro-business agenda and then do all these things that hurt businesses yeah so and no one's screaming (laughs) well there's people screaming it's it's who's listening and cap and trade is is one side of things but you have to look at if we're trying to increase business in in ontario if we're trying to lose if we're trying to lure big businesses if we're trying to lure the, the the amazons of of the world number one on their list is quality of life yeah. And uh, right now we're looking at a government that has zero interest in quality of life. And so when when you're making when you're making deep cuts, and this is this is going to roll out through education, through health, through green space, through all these things that people value when uh, when they're setting up shop, uh, you're actually not doing a great service to your to your business industry. Of course right. not. You look at. Uh Look at where Ontario stands. So, in the StatsCan report that came out, uh, concluding the month of the month of August, we saw eighty thousand jobs lost in Ontario. What are the big leaders of industry in Canada? They're going to be British Columbia and Alberta, for whatever purpose. It doesn't matter who's in power there. They're the big economic drivers. You look at Alberta itself. Although the the conception is that Alberta is is a natural gas extractor, and we're getting into an economy that, well, our our brand of conservatism across the country is getting getting us back out and into extraction because we don't have the manufacturing base anymore. So our 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 national economy is going to be about extraction. That exists there, but Alberta and British Columbia, they're getting ahead of the curve, and they're getting into. Uh, innovation. They're getting into technology, they're getting into green energy, and they're supporting it at a government level. We were starting to see that with a lot of the Green uh, the green Energy Act and, and all of this sort of thing in Ontario. Do I think that the previous government did enough to encourage that? Absolutely not. But were they good steps in the right direction? Absolutely. What does Ontario have to offer for resource extraction at the moment? Not very much. Right. We have the Ring of Fire in Northern Ontario that's been untapped, and if we were to start developing that, it, you know, that's uh, that's not a, a road that I think should be travelled uh, very heavily. Not to say that there shouldn't be some mining there, mm-hmm. but to you know, to have Mr. Ford go up there with a bulldozer himself is not exactly <laughs> the uh, the thing that I want to see for for Northern Ontario because that's where our extraction is. If we're not manufacturing, we have to be extracting. And extraction is 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 a, the biggest cause of, of uh, large scale pollution that we see. And cap and trade fought against that. And 
It depends on, I mean, business is not just a monolithic thing. You know, there's many different aspects to the economy and to entrepreneurship. The kind of business that's prioritized by Ford and his followers is, is a fairly old model. But in a very material way, he is business friendly in doing things like cutting down on the permit and red tape process, the yeah. those pesky environmental regulations, as Sean mentioned earlier, opening up uh, green spaces for development. So there's a lot, there's certain types of businesses that are absolutely delighted by uh, Ford's government. Uh, However, what other people have said is also true. The economy is changing, and the growth parts of the economy are largely unseen by people who are locked in those old models. I think this also speaks a bit to the city of Peterborough, but I guess we're getting to that later <laughs> in the conversation. Yes, yes, that's after the break. Okay, if we could change channels for just a bit, is anyone beginning to get gripped about the U.S. midterms? Is there a blue tide in the Keep clouds. In Canada, Bill. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> it's funny. I've, I started seeing headlines, and it, it was actually, for the first time, made me think, oh, thank God Trump's not forever. Uh, because because it is. Uh, the, the current administration is all-encompassing. Uh, we are so dialed into not just the horrors uh, of what it represents to the people of America and the people of the world, but the uh, the the crazy showmanship, the 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 voyeuristic aspects of, of Trump's life in the White House. When when you're opening up newspapers, and people still read newspapers, right? Yeah. Um, and and reading stories about the president's genitalia, you know, you you've got you've got you've got to you've got to say to yourself, oh man, there, there's something deeply wrong going on here. So yeah, bring on. Bring on the primaries. Oh, you, you know, and Sean, your, your comment in Canada is, is spot on. And, and let me respond to that. I have always felt, or I shouldn't say always, but there have been occasions over my long years that I felt the American election is more important than our elections for actually what happens in Canada. And I think this time around... Well, in, in certainly a geopolitical sense, you're right, and certainly influence on Canada. I mean, you know... I said this already. I mean, Ford's doing a, a bad Donald Trump cover band right now, uh, which still makes him dangerous. But, but you know, they're believe down the road tonight. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 they're, right. they're playing down every road, unfortunately. In, in terms of what's going to happen, the worst is still yet to come with the Trump administration. The, the more they get cornered, the more they get frustrated, the worse it's, it's going to get. As for what's going to happen in midterms, I mean, the, the betting line is that the Republicans are going to lose the House and they'll probably hold on to the Senate. Um, it, it, we'll see what happens over the next couple of months. Uh, the big thing that will happen, the, 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 the tangible result of the midterm elections will be that uh, the Democrats take control of the House committees. And they can subpoena all sorts of things. The White House will ignore it, and uh, there will be very few consequences. But they will have the power to produce documents. So we will finally get a look at Donald Trump's taxes. Um, beyond all that, though, uh, I think if you're following American politics, is that the the specter of the Robert Mueller investigation and how close at home they're getting there. I mean, this is the guy who brought down Enron, he brought down the Gambino crime family, and it looks like he's going to bring down the Trump family eventually. And it, when there isn't the shield of the House committees to right. to prevent Mueller from getting closer, so that, but that will mean Trump gets very dangerous at that point. I think it's also I think it's also very important to say that. Uh, Around the time of, of the U.S. primary, about a day after, I believe is the final deadline for a NAFTA agreement. And we're going to see right. if there is a tantrum from the White House, that's going to be most paramount in our relations trade-wise with the United States, as mm. Mr. Trump is trying to get unity going, saying, well, 
Canadian dairy farmers are hurting American dairy farmers, which is absolutely not the case. Mm. Uh, our system of supply management is 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 second to none when when we're actually standing up uh, and protecting our farmers here. But also, the big untruth is that uh, Americans make six hundred million dollars a year off of us in dairy. Now, and also, someone was, uh, it could have been you, Tim, last time, mentioning that if all these changes to the auto pact go through, Americans, folks who live and work in the States, will wind up paying up to 2000 2, more per car every time they go shopping. Yeah, I don't know if I quoted the exact figure, but the, the auto market, a lot of manufacturing business, uh, is so integrated. You know, and and again, anyone with a cursory knowledge of how these things work, you know, things are flying across the border left and right. One part being made there, being improved in Canada and throwing back. And, and, you know, I'm a veteran of the 80s and being opposed to free trade. And there were a lot of good reasons still to be opposed to these international trade agreements. But But there certainly is something to be said about not having these really strict walls because it has created more economic activity and more jobs ultimately. I, one other thing about how this all folds back to Canadian politics, the happiest person in the country that Donald Trump is being so belligerent in trade negotiations is, is Justin Trudeau. He's been able to wrap himself in the flag, and sure, he's getting flack. Uh, I know the NDP brought up supply management in the House of Commons today, and there was uh, you know, the, the Andrew Scheer and, and, and the rebel media hordes around him filled social media with criticisms, thinly veiled uh, misogynist attacks on Christia Phelan. But the fact of the matter is, it's a winning argument for Trudeau. I'm sure he's happy to negotiate NAFTA with the belligerent White House as long as it takes. Well, now, coming back to Canada, what do we collectively make of Mad Max? And uh, the People's Party. <laughs> Mr. Conway, please. I, uh, I wish uh, Chairman Bernier the, the, best, the best of luck in, in this new, this new ven- venture. And, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of the Western Rebellion with the formation of the Reform Party. And I, can't, I really want to know what Preston Manning is thinking. I want to know what those, what those guys are talking about. Because this is exactly what's happening, and I and I, from things that I'm reading and from folks that I I know and I'm connected with, that he's he's doing okay is is what I'm hearing, and that should be, it is alarming that this sort of protectionist uh, party is is swaying away. But he's going to jump from the Wild Rose Party, and he's going to get that support in Western Canada. Now, provincially, we see the United Conservative Party is, is doing doing what it can in bringing down the government there. But I think we're going back to a divide in the Conservative Party, and I don't think that that's something Mr. Scheer can fight back against. He did not get a commanding majority in the last leadership contest there, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of division within the Conservative Party. So you think that, uh, Sean... Uh, you- I'd be interested in your take on this. Are other conserv- conservatives or just other people going to get on Bernier's bus? Absolutely. It's it's happening. Mm-hmm. We see it online. You can go online right now and you can look up the... He's got different organizing portals all over Facebook, all over social media, thousands of members signing up, people burning their Conservative Party of Canada cards, be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all, on, all on, uh, on how we treat milk cows. That's really all it is. And... and- as scary as scary as he they are, we also have to take a look at a, a, a 
what might be a good healthy splitting of the right as well. Uh, we inevitably we go into uh, election time uh, at the provincial and federal level, and uh, we, we uh, people on the left people who are either supporters of uh, the Liberal Party or the NDP they uh, they they've gotten the habit of holding their noses and jumping and uh, and trying to get behind. Uh, what the strategic vote is, and it, it's 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 no longer that we're following the the parties. We're we're now following the path of of least resistance, and uh, I think that a splitting of the right is going to do something really econ- interesting to our our political spectrum, and uh, it, it may in fact be helpful to to both parties on the left. Yeah, I certainly agree, yeah. certainly agree with that. I mean, I was. I remember I was up at the cottage <laughs> when, when the party was formed, and, and I was on a cottage in Lake Huron, and had to uh, walk up the hill to uh, to uh, actually get a uh, get a signal. And I came running down and told my family, "Oh, it's the best news ever!" Because for a tactical reason, split on the vote. But I do want to pick up what Sean said about uh, Western reform and Preston Manning, and I want to give a little love to Preston Manning. I, I want to get him a jet ski. <laughs> oh no, no, see, that's the thing. That's but that's day. but that's oh, it that's right, right there right. Because, yeah. because Preston Manning's philosophy was deeply rooted in the Alberta social credit. Yeah. You know, it was rooted in the notion of direct democracy for you know whatever you thought about some stuff, and there was a lot of stuff that Manning supported that I didn't like. There was a coherent, deeply held uh, you know political belief that he learned in his father's knee that he brought to federal politics. And there were certain aspects about the way the Reform Party in its initial mm. uh, apparition, the way they the way they conducted themselves, that actually was admirable. Uh, Bernier is a pale, pale shadow of that. It's 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 the contemporary id politics as Sean denoted, like it's anti dairy farming, anti immigrant, the things that'll push buttons, bring memberships, bring dollars and everything like that. So I, I think strategically behaves like the Reform Party, but it, it has no resemblance whatsoever to actually the ideals of the Reform Party. I would like to write down the fact that you used uh, Reform Party and Admirable in the, in the same... <laughs> I like Preston Man. I actually... I, I like Preston Man. <laughs> Never vote for him, but I like him. We have a... We have, you know, to tie, to tie this all into Peterborough, we have a, a, a certain uh, council candidate in Northcrest who happens to be a uh, nephew of Preston Manning. We didn't know that. Mr. Hatton. Really? Mr. Hatton. Mr. Hatton. Great, okay. great nephew of Mr. Preston Manning. Interesting, interesting stuff. There you go. Well, this is why, folks, you have to listen to Pints and Politics. Don't miss a week. And required <laughs> reading for next week is C.B. McPherson's uh, The Life and Times of uh, Democracy in Alberta. I think I got that right. The Life and Times of Democracy. That's a whole history. You want to hear about Preston Manning's family, that's where you're going to find it. Interesting. You know, I... In following all this news over the summer, it occurred to me that, uh, particularly coming out of Washington, that my political vocabulary is getting challenged and expanded every week. For example, I didn't know what a flipper was, but a flipper is now, you know, someone who changes their mind and you thought was a loyal supporter of X and then he decides to, he or she decides to go to Y and X brands oh, I'm sorry Bill have you missed the last couple of elections <laughs> that's right that's right that's right I, I've been missing yeah. I've been missing uh, okay is anyone paying any attention to what's going on in the Toronto election and particularly I, I have been what's your take well you, you... Toronto right now, they're losing... It, it is the sixth biggest government in Canada, right? Of course. They're, Toronto is about to lose a fabulous councillor in Sarah Doucette, who has stepped down. Oh. Sarah doesn't want to compete in a 25-ward race. She's stepped down. She'll be supporting Gord Perks. And we're seeing a lot of people who 
are are not going to be at the table anymore. You know, to be to be completely fair, I haven't paid too much attention to Toronto politics since David Miller. Right. I'm a big fan of David Miller. Right. You know, love him or leave him, but I like yep. David Miller, and uh, and it's nice to have the crash course on how that works because, as you said, it is the sixth largest government in Canada. And I, I think it's it's important that we we pay attention to this. But but even notwithstanding that, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a, you know I I was going to be a stand up comedian before I got into this whole thing. But it's important to know that beyond the the cut of Toronto Council, it's the removal of elections in in the uh, Peel, York, and Niagara regions. They're no longer holding elections and those heads will be appointed and it's important that's it's an issue uh, they were always appointed but two years ago they decided that they'd hold elections but apparently mr ford hates appointed uh, people so much that he wants to appoint some people to be the regional chairs of york peel and uh, niagara oh, dear i was wondering if anyone had any observations about Faith Goldie and the media blackout that's surrounding her campaign. Let's keep that blackout going. <laughs> my, my, my sentiments. My sentiments. Uh, although I do, I do notice challenges about democracy and the the where I've come to in my understanding is there's democracy. She's allowed to run. There's also in politics a thing called power. And as long as people like if i owned a newspaper i had power i wouldn't mention her this is the playbook of the whining fringe right, right who you know go on and on about free speech when it suits them and when they can't get media coverage they complain about the liberal press and everything like that and then if they come so you know there's if there's some small victory they gloat they talk about liberal tears and triggered leftists and everything like that it's it's uh it's 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 an immature asinine way to conduct politics and i look forward to her being consigned to the scrap heap of history and and on that note, uh, we're going to take a little musical break. Now, I, I am not... <laughs> you're right. I am not much of a linguist. Uh, I speak Montreal French very badly. I can order beer in Spanish. I can say, I love you in Ukrainian. I can even swear a bit in German. I can order tea in Nepali. I can haggle over the price of bananas a bit in Hindi. And I can say thank you in Ojibwe, miigwech. But I can't say a word in Kosha. But I, I wish I could, because uh, then I could introduce this song with the respect it deserves. The song we're about to hear is the national anthem of several African countries, uh, including the Republic of South Africa. So, class stand, hats off. Here is Lady Smith, Black Mombazo, singing Nkoshi <clears throat> Sikalele Africa, or God Bless Africa. This 
That was Nkosi Sikalele Africa. If you Google God Bless Africa, you'll find a, on YouTube, you'll find a clip of the South African rugby team in 1995. These huge, brutes, really strong guys, black and white, standing shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, arm, singing that song, uh, singing their hearts out. And the thought that struck me is... Have any of us ever seen a Canadian hockey player sing our national anthem? Uh, I'm going to jump in. Come on, man. I mean, oh. go to the World Junior Hockey Championships, and uh, if, if Canada wins, if Canada loses, but if Canada wins, i got to tell you, those kids are arm in arm. They're singing. They're crying. Do they know they're, the words? Do they, they, know, they the know, words? know the words? One of the greatest moments in Canadian international hockey history, and Bill, you've known me for a number of years. You know I've seen every single international game Team Canada's played since 1972. It was a 1982 World Junior Championship when Canada sent its first national team it was only broadcast on radio. It was in North Dakota, and they won a surprise gold medal. Mike Moffat stoned the Czechs in the final round-robin game, and the players <laughs> linked arms at center ice in this barn in North Dakota and sang the national anthem, and I listened to it live on my radio in the kitchen in Montreal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a goosebumper <laughs> right. right there. All right. So, Welcome back to Pucks and Politics. <laughs> Thank you, Sean Conway. You just do hockey trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah hockey trivia. Okay. <laughs> 